Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the new episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and along with me is Tim Parrish, and today we are going to talk about lots of stuff. Our big topic for today is Upper Deck Extended Series, but we also want to talk about some other card news, which we're going to save for a little later in the show. And then we're also going to talk about uh, some of the latest uh, players to retire and a few other things going on and around in the NHL. Tim, how are you today? Well, other than the fact that our power went out a little earlier, I'm doing great. Hear that, folks? Power outage does not knock this man down. He gets knocked down, but he gets back up and uh, uses his phone with Skype to do a podcast. Hey, the show must go on. Right, right. I want to begin this episode uh, talking about a... uh, Famous National Hockey League player who passed away recently, Tony Esposito, former goaltender, played 16 seasons in the NHL, 15 with the Blackhawks. Of course, his very first season with the Montreal Canadiens. He passed away at age 78 from pancreatic cancer. He didn't publicize that he had cancer. So to most of us uh, who were not in the know, because he didn't really tell anybody, his passing away came very sudden. Of course, we were all shocked and saddened by it because, I mean, I even got some autographs from Tony Esposito back in July uh, through mail order. And the guy who was um, arranging that with Tony didn't even know. And, you know, I got those cards back and the autographs looked nice. I mean, so even looking at his autograph, I wasn't like, oh, his autograph looks like he's sick or something. I mean, so it just blindsided us. Esposito played for the Blackhawks from 1969 to 1984. I did not get into hockey until 1989, but I did meet Tony O many times over the years at various charity events, autograph events, and then in the, you know, from 2008 forward, the Chicago Blackhawk Convention, and just some of the accolades that he uh, accrued over his career. Rookie of the Year, 1970, and he made a uh, record, he set a record for recording 15 shutouts that season. And he earned the nickname Tony O in the process. He um, played with the Blackhawks for 15 seasons. He was named the league's top goaltender three times and an all-star five times. He did win a Stanley Cup with Montreal during the 68-69 season. He played the third most games during the regular season, but I guess he was fourth on their depth chart in the playoffs. He didn't play any playoff games. I mean, the one-two punch for Montreal and in, in Nets in 68-69 was Gump Worsley and uh, Rogie Vachon. So, you know, they had a pretty solid one-two uh, netminders right there. Um, but he was instrumental in Team Canada's victory against the Soviet Union in the 1972 Summit Series. And then after he retired, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 88. And he had his uh, jersey number retired by the Blackhawks, number 35, retired in uh, 88 as well. Another little fact is that uh, Tony O became a U.S. citizen and he actually played for Team USA in the 1981 Canada Cup. So he's got lots of international experience for both sides of the border. I didn't know he played for Team USA. And he was the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I believe he was the one who orchestrated the trade for Tom Barrasso. Yeah, I knew that. Somebody actually, not long after that, uh, commented. I think it was directed at me. Asked me, like, 
you know, his name's Tony Esposito. Why do they call him Tony O? And I said, well, because of shutouts. Mm-hmm. He would blank the opponent. So he was O, as in zero points. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Because his last name doesn't begin with O. Okay. <laughs> well, Phil Esposito, he, his nickname was Espo. So right. you couldn't have two players nicknamed Espo. So I think Espo and Tony O, I think that's that's fine. Everybody's got a nickname. There's an origin story behind it. You know, I'll tell you, one time I remember getting Tony Esposito's autograph, and I want to say it was like 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning at a Chicago Blackhawks convention. What they would do for the VIP signers, they would give you a scratch-and-win ticket, and then if you won, they would just tell you to show up at this time on this day, and they wouldn't really tell you who was going to sign. Later on, they, they, they... started revealing it, you know, but I figured out that it was going to be Tony Esposito just because I talked to a few people and they they said, oh, you know, Bobby Hall already signed and Pierre Pallotta already signed. So, you know, it's just like, well, it can only really be Tony Esposito. So anyways, I remember like getting in line and the room was just packed. I mean, I want to say it was like 315 people is what it was, but it could have been more. It could have been 500 people. It took me an hour to get from the back of the room to the front of the room. And when I turned around to walk back towards the the way I came in, the room was still full. So the thing is, is that Tony O was like an autograph signing machine, but he took his time with the fans. You'd get to the front of the line. He'd ask you how you were doing. He'd ask you if you're having a good time. He'd ask you if, uh, you know, what do you think the the Blackhawks are going to do? Are are you excited this year? He was just, I mean, he was one of the team's ambassadors, but he loved every minute of it. He loved talking to fans, young and old. I mean, he he would take more than a minute, you know, he, you know, where do you want me to sign this? I mean, he was just such a great guy. And I understand that like the newer players, it's a totally different thing. And a lot of them now are trained to sign very quickly. I think that same year I might've gotten Patrick Sharp's autograph. And I remember like one guy taking my photo, rotating it 180, sliding it in front of Sharp, handing him a blue marker and then taking the blue marker from him. And then another guy next to Sharp on the other side, sliding the photo, turning it around and handing it to me. It was it was literally like an assembly line. And with like Tony, he'd put it up on the table and he'd want to look at it and he'd want to talk to you. And that was the thing. He just was so, it was really like an experience. I mean, I even remember back in like the early 90s, my first job was at a comic book store. And I remember my boss's girlfriend, she came in one day to work, you know, because she she worked there too. And she wasn't actually really nice to me most of the time, but she did one thing for me that was really nice. She was at a restaurant. She saw Tony Esposito and she got me his autograph and he wrote to Sal, best wishes, Tony Esposito. That was just the kind of guy he was. And last thing I'll say is that most of the time when he came to autograph appearances, he was in a three-piece suit. It's like he wanted to look nice. He wanted to, like, it, it was like a job to him. I mean, even the, I read an article where he said it was his job to to do this, and he took the job seriously. But later on, then he'd start wearing, like, the polo shirt and stuff. I'm like, okay, Tony, it's like 90 degrees outside. Please don't wear a three-piece suit. You know, we're, we're, we're uncomfortable on your behalf. But he, he was just such a gentleman. I mean, when I met him when I was 15, he shook my hand. He was just just such an awesome dude. That's how he dresses on the Binnie's commercials, too. 
You know, it was funny because in the Binnie's commercials, there's one where he's allegedly rollerblading through the aisles. But they cut to his face and then they cut to the feet and they cut to his face and they cut to the feet. So it's it's obviously not him. But uh, it was funny because like my girlfriend at the time and I were getting his autograph at a convention and she made a comment about that commercial and he smiled and was like, oh, yeah, I still rollerblade three miles a day. And she's like, really? He's like, yeah, really? You know, he's like totally messing with her. A lot of these old Blackhawks were always really nice to the fans. You know, Stan Makita when he was still alive and Pierre Pilat when he was still alive. And you remember meeting Bill Gadsby many years ago. Oh, yeah. It's always sad to see somebody pass away, somebody that you looked up to. I mean, he was my aunt's favorite player. And when I got into hockey, she let me have her Tony Esposito jersey. And that meant so much to me at 14 because I didn't have a Blackhawks jersey. And I just got into hockey and she's like, oh, here, here's my jersey. And it had number 35 on the back. And I learned the history of this player. And then like a year later, I tried to track down one of his rookie cards. That was my first white whale was a 20 rookie card 68 69 opg rookie card hard as hell to find in 1990 in chicago before the internet i was calling up every canadian card shop that i could find a phone number for whether they were listed in beckett hockey or sports collectors digest or baseball card news or tough stuff i tracked one down it was like 130 dollars 130 dollars and then on top of that, I probably racked up like 40, 50 bucks in long distance calls. So it was definitely an expense, but it was like the card that I had to have when I was 15, just because I had met him and, you know, he was my aunt's favorite player and I had his jersey. And it was just obviously I have a lot of feelings. It's not all about me, but I can only really talk about this from a fan's perspective because I didn't watch him play back in the day. I just knew him from how well he treated young fans like me when I was a kid. Yeah, and one thing about the the older generation players, and you brought it up, you know, most of the guys that played back in the day that are still with us that still do events and sign for fans and all that kind of stuff, they they do take their time. You look at the older guys' autographs, you can actually read their names. Like, they're they're very legible. Uh, Like, one of my favorite autographs is Ted Lindsay. Ted Lindsay signs his name and there is no doubt that that's exactly what that says. I mean, you you look at the way he signs his name, and there's no question that says Ted Lindsay. You know, Tony O's autograph is exactly like that too. It's Tony Esposito. That's exactly what that says. Anything mm-hmm. else? Unlike some guys now, and there aren't as many in hockey, I don't think, because I mean, Lord knows between you and I over the last few years, we've gotten our our share of of scrub autographs out of various products, but I haven't seen a whole lot that just do a little scratch. Like I Mm -hmm. have basketball or football uh, and even some baseball where it's just like a line. Just Mm -hmm. it's like, what is that? That's nothing. I don't know what this says. Anybody could have wrote that. It could just be a smudge, but you know, these, these older guys like Tony uh, and all of his counterparts from those eras, you know, 60s and 70s, they really, really take their time. You know, that's part of the whole thing. That's part of them being a player. That's part of them representing their team, their careers, and everything else. And it's a, they view it as a representation of themselves. And, and that's what makes it 
way more special, I think, when you get an autograph of a of a player from that era or a Hall of Famer from that time frame. You know, another thing I want to mention about Tony, and this is something I always wanted to ask him, um, because he was an innovator. He was an innovator with the goalie mask. He wasn't the first to wear a goalie mask, but he cut a cage and he put it over the eye area of his mask. I don't know if you ever noticed that on some of the later 70s cards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he also did like, um, you know, the, the the cheater, that webbing between the thumb and the, the finger on the glove. And he talked about putting webbing between his knees on the on the pants. And I guess he got caught for that. But the most famous thing that he's known for is way cheating on the pads. He used to pull all the stuffing out when they would come back and measure to make sure mm-hmm. they were patient. He'd pull all the stuffing out. And then when they were gone, he'd shove it all back in. So there's plenty of stories about that. Even his brother tells that story about how he would cheat the system on his on his equipment. I think what one thing, though, that I always wondered about, I remember a number of years ago, I wrote an article about the five most iconic Blackhawk goalie masks. And Esposito's is iconic. Well, he played with the team for a long time, 15 years. So, I mean, he was with the team right at the beginning when goalies started wearing masks and then, of course, painting their masks. And he never painted his mask. And I always wondered why. But in like a way, it, it well, I look at those cards of him from the 70s, and he just seems like such like a, um, this is going to sound funny when I say it, but I'm just going to say it, just like such a working class goaltender. Like, no frills, right? Like, paint on the mask wouldn't make him a better goalie, so he didn't bother with it. He was too busy stuffing his pads or adding webbing or whatever and wasn't going to worry about anything that was flashy but not going to make his game any better. Because you look at, like, even, like, Ken Dryden, you know, had a mask that was painted, and, you know, Cheevers, of course, had a mask that was painted, and there were, like, a lot of great masks in the 70s, but... Yeah, his wasn't one. So it's just kind of weird that like his plain white mask is iconic because it's a plain white mask in an era when almost no one else had a plain white mask. And I was going to ask you, can you name another goalie in the 70s who had a plain white mask? And there's one easy answer that I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. In the 70s? Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you this, though. Pretty much anybody who backed up Tony O in the 70s also didn't paint their mask. Oh. Now, I don't know if that was a team policy, so don't quote me on that. But I think when, like, the guy who's playing 75 games doesn't paint his mask, and you're the guy sitting on the bench for 75 games, and then you get in for five games— I don't think you're going to paint your mask either. I don't think a backup would be like, yeah, I can't wait to paint my mask, right? When you're just going to sit on the bench, it seems almost kind of pointless, right? And also kind of silly. I mean, you know, now it becomes an individual thing today. But back then, I mean, that was still, I don't want to say it was still new, but, you know, wearing masks and having any kind of individuality, that was a newer thing. Because Mm -hmm. as masks came in, there wasn't like a standard mask. People mm-hmm. made up their own masks. They created their own things, and they were trying to figure out ways to make them better and safer and everything else. So, you know, you started getting in that in that mid to late seventies. You started getting all that individuality of, okay, well, I want to have a giant cobra snake on mine, or I want to mm-hmm. look like, you know, I want to look like a kabuki warrior, or mm-hmm. I want the Statue of Liberty on my mask, or or a tiger. 
Target or Target or whatever. Mm-hmm. It became like people's calling card. And I think him being from the generation that he started in, starting in the NHL in the 60s and coming through and seeing that evolution. I mean, he's kind of like the old school where, yeah, all these guys are painting up. I don't need to do that. I'm just going to go out there and play and I'm going to win. Yeah, because he was like he was like 27 when he broke in. I mean, he was born in 43. So if it by say by 73, when he would have been like through his like fourth or fifth season, I mean, he was already 30. So I'm not saying he's an old man. I mean, he played till he was like 40. But I think, you know, when you're like 20, you're like, yeah, I'm going to paint my mask. And when you're 30, if you haven't done it by then, you're just like, eh, whatever. Doesn't make me a better goalie. Right. Exactly. So, you know, rest in peace, Tony Esposito. Thank you for all the happy memories you gave us fans. So let's change the subject a little bit. We did mention that Tony O was the uh, GM of the Penguins for a while. But the longtime play-by-play man for the Penguins, Mike Lang, is retiring. He retired or he's going to retire? Uh, he's, he's done in the booth. He's uh, done. He's basically hung up the ancient proverbial uh, headset that he used to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody's familiar with um, Mike Lang, but he's very famous for wearing the old school headset, the white with the boom mic that comes down. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of the hearing test headsets from elementary mm-hmm. school. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mike Lang, um, Voice of the Penguins for the last 46 years finally decided to to retire. Now they did announce that he's gonna still be, you're gonna still hear his voice on the broadcast and things like that. I don't know if that means they cut a bunch of sound bites and they're gonna use them or or what, or if he's still gonna stick around on occasion for different things. But you know, he said he's pretty much done in the move. Um, but uh, Mike Lang is iconic. Pretty much my entire life. I mean, not pretty much. He has been, for my entire life, the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Basically, he started back with the Penguins in 74-75, left the team for a year because they went bankrupt for the first time, uh, and became a soccer announcer. Hmm. And then came back to the team the following year in 76-77, and he's been there ever since. So, like I said, my whole lifetime he's been there. And it's interesting, his whole story about coming to the team and all that, he didn't know anything about hockey. And this is kind of funny because when you get a lot of these old school guys that came into hockey, that's kind of the same story. They didn't know anything about hockey because it was this other sport, right? You know, he was a baseball guy. He even called pirate games back in the, like the mid-80s uh, as well. You know, he got into hockey – uh, back in 1969, when a friend of his that, was, that he went to college with kind of coaxed him into going to a game, and you know he had never been to a game, never watched a game at all, and all it took was that one game. And so he worked his way up, became the scorekeeper for the college team, then became the PA announcer, so on and so forth. And eventually, he was working for uh, both – he worked for the San Diego Gulls and the Phoenix Roadrunners in the WHL before he actually went to the Penguins. WHA. So, um, yeah. So, in what, yeah, in the World Hockey Association, because I remember finding a photo of him, a team photo with him in it. 
of of the Roadrunners, and I just, that just stuck out to me. Like, wait, he was with the Roadrunners, really? Like, wow. I always think of him as a penguin. It seemed almost like uh, a surreal to see him with any other team. Well, the thing is, he sent out tape. He sent out like tapes and applications to pretty much any and all announcing jobs that he could, and nobody would hire him. So, you know, he took what jobs he could, and you know, he became famous for, you know, for what he is. So, you know, no, no Penguin game was complete without his famous, you know, it's a hockey night in Pittsburgh. You know, that was broadcast over the airways to begin every Penguins game for years and years and years. And pretty much any iconic play that you can think of in the Penguins history has an equally iconic call that he made. Um, and, you know, it, it's amazing to look back on his career knowing that this was that voice that you heard every day came in and came out. And, you know, whether it was like the good time periods or the bad time period, it didn't matter. He was still the announcer. You know, he kind of bounced between radio and TV over the years. Like I said earlier, he even called Pirates games at one point. And you should appreciate the fact that he called one of the most famous games between the Penguins and the Blackhawks yes, from the, the movie Sudden Death. Yes, the 1995 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 7 between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Chicago Blackhawks. And if you're saying that game never happened, I'm like, yeah, it did in Sudden Death starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Right. Him and Paul Staggerwald were the uh, the announcers of the game, uh, just like they were for normal Penguin games. So he has his his cameo in that movie. But over the years, you know, just like when we, when um, when Doc Emmerich retired and we talked about the one thing that people always pointed out about him was the amount of research and game preparation he put in. It's kind of the same thing with Mike Lang. He would have just piles and piles of notes with, you know, line pairings and information. And he was extremely precise and thorough with everything that he went over, would spend hours going over the players and the stat lines and just coming up with, you know, the, the subtle awarenesses of all the different nuances of the game and all of that. You know, it always surprised me a lot as a kid to hear him talk before the game, like when they're um, out there skating for the warm-ups and everything, and they're talking about all the players out there. And You know, you would always hear him talk about a player that had, you know, a little extra, a little, little pep in their step and everything out on the ice. And sure enough, the guys that he would talk about in the beginning of the game would end up scoring two goals and having uh, two more assists and get the stars of the game. It was uncanny the way he was able to do that. He he got to a point where he became so iconic that not just Penguin fans liked him, but other fans of other teams could appreciate what he did. They would use his goal calls on highlights, you know, just on on SportsCenter and you know all of the the, the other programs that that showed game highlights for the day. So I mean, you'd hear his voice all the time making his goal, famous goal calls. He's in the Hall of Fame because in 2001, he got the Foster Hewitt Award. He's got that to his namesake now. But um, you can't talk about Mike Lang without talking about the catchphrases. Let's hear some of them. The catchphrases, I mean, that was his calling card. Most of these, he's he's credited over the years of you know hearing these from fans. These are fan suggestions or colleagues would tell him some things, and he'd come up with phrases to go along with them. When I was 11 years old, I had a T-shirt that had all of the, what were called the Langisms, 
and they had some caricatures that embodied different sayings on it. But I had that shirt, and I wish I still had it today, but obviously it wouldn't fit. But some of them, just to throw a few out there, call Arnold Slick from Turtle Crick. Now you look at that and be like, what the heck is a crick? Unless you know what a crick is. It's a creek, but we call it crick back there. So, you know, somebody scores a goal. Oh, call Arnold Slick from Turtle Crick. He would say that. You know, look out Loretta. That was another phrase. Later on in the career, uh, when players like Crosby and Malkin came on, make me a milkshake Malkin. I don't know where that came from, but that's something he would always say. Slap me silly Sidney. He would say that all the time. You know, great balls of fire is something he would always say. Shave my face with a rusty razor. That's another one. One of my favorites is buy Sam a drink and get his dog one, too. So, I mean, you think about it, you know, somebody skating up the ice and you hear the play-by-play call and he would, he would scream, he shoots and scores. And, you know, it'd be, oh, Mario Lemieux with his second goal of the game. Oh, buy Sam a drink and get his dog one, too. It'd be stuff like that. And it was so exciting and crazy. And you'd be waiting for the next goal to hear what he says next. And there's so many of them. I mean, I could be here for the next 15 minutes just naming off more. You know, get in the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game's ready to roll. That's another one. The Um, ones that I remember, I always remember scratch my back with a hacksaw. Yep, that's a good one. And Elvis has left the building. Yes, the Elvis has left the building is... You know, that's that's the key catchphrase that ends the game. If 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 you're up by a lot and you score that empty netter, Elvis has just left the building mm-hmm. and, and they go with that. Um, so you get to hear that. Quite often, so it's definitely something that. I'm going to miss, I will tell you that as a Penguin fan, but. I am very glad that YouTube exists and you can go out there and you can listen to his play calls throughout history of the various games, famous games, and and hear a lot of them. So let me ask you something. Does uh, Mike Lang have any hockey cards? Does Mike Lang have any hockey cards? Well, in fact, he does. The fans of the game cards that Panini put in Crown Royal a few Mm -hmm. years, uh, he has a card in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with autograph, which I wish I had, um, but I don't have that one. However, this year, to kind of transition a little bit, in 2021, Allen and Ginter, he is featured in the Allen and Ginter set, which traditionally is a baseball slash entertainment everything kind of set. Mm-hmm. You know, those familiar with Upper Deck, kind of like Goodwin Champions, where the champ sets are. Um, this is same kind of thing, uh, but Allen and Ginter, uh, he is featured in the Allen and Ginter. So he has base cards and various parallels and inserts and autographs, which most of them I've seen on eBay already are a pretty penny. Mm. But um, I'll have a few. Let's put it that way. I, I will have a few. I remember seeing him on a card. Years and years ago, this was probably late 80s, early 90s. And I think it was a food-issued card, but I'm not sure where it came from. And I haven't seen it since. Hmm. So I'm not sure exactly where where it came from. I didn't really get a chance to look, but 
with my power being out, I can't look right now either. So that's but, okay. Uh, but um, he's definitely a, a, an icon in Pittsburgh and in hockey in general. He will be missed. And I know the uh, the guys that have taken his place over the years and filled in because he was doing radio along with Phil Bork. And, you know, the guys that they're more than capable, but, you know, just doesn't have that Mike Lang it factor. Right. Yeah, those old school hockey announcers are definitely a different breed. Wow, did it just get brighter in your apartment or your house, not apartment? It did. Everything's turned on. We have All power. Right. You got power. Now you could look up where that Mike with that Mike Lang food issue. No, I'm just kidding. It's like 30 minutes of my internet trying to boot up. So, <laughs> so it's kind of cool to walk down memory lane with my my history with being a fan of the Penguins and Mike Lang and everything. So so I know that, like, at the end of this upcoming season, Pat Foley of the Blackhawks is going to be retiring. So now he's only been with the team since the early 80s, so not as long as Lang has been with the Penguins, but pretty close. And so, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be feeling that in a year, you know, when uh, Pat Foley retires, you know, because that was the only voice of the Blackhawks that I ever knew, um, except for those two years that the team fired him and he went to go do play-by-play for the Chicago Wolves of the AHL. Yeah, I can relate in, in, in some fashion. It's, you know, I mean, just kind of how we all feel about Doc Emmerich retiring. But hey, let's talk, uh, let's talk COVID-19 because we haven't talked COVID-19. Oh, I don't know, since the last episode when we were talking about how COVID-19 didn't really deter people from going to the National Sports Collectors Convention or wearing a mask at the National Sports Collectors Convention. But it is going to factor in with the National Hockey League and how they are going to conduct business this upcoming season because there is a vaccine. Players will be required to take the vaccine. And any staff member who comes within 12 feet of a player, if I remember correctly, will have to take the vaccine as well, which I think is great because the success rate of the vaccine has been phenomenal. So I'm glad that they're doing this for the safety of the players, of course. Nobody wants to see their favorite player not play because of COVID. Nobody wants to see one player who doesn't take a vaccine, you know, infect the team staff. That would suck for them. I think this is a good move uh, by the league to say, you know what, you got to do it. You know, I, I hear about other leagues where they're kind of like, well, if the players don't want to, and then you have like teams getting sick and players getting other players sick. So I think it's a good move by the NHL. They trust in the science. Yeah. I mean, it, it boils down to job requirement, really, more than anything else. I mean, every job has a requirement. If you don't follow the requirements, then you don't work there. I mean, think of well, it that way. Granted, I get it. It's a sports organization and there's, a lot of other moving parts and gears spinning at the same time. But I mean, really it's a, it's an employer employee relationship. So if that's the policy, that's the policy. I mean, look at they're doing in the NFL, you know, guys aren't getting it. They're like, okay, well you're free to do whatever you want. But if you do something that causes problem and your team gets infected and we have to cancel a game or postpone a game, you're taking an L. Nice. And that's, and that's how it is. So, 
I kind of wanted to see that in Major League Baseball last summer because do you remember how ridiculous the MLB was last summer where you had teams, they'd go on a hiatus for, for two weeks, they'd have all these games postponed and, and, and rescheduled and, and whatnot, and you had like one guy would get sick and he'd infect guys on the other team, and it was just, it was like out of control. I mean, yes, they did finish the season, but it was just, it was kind of ridiculous. And I was thinking back then, you know, they should punish the team that has to forfeit, give them the loss. Well, a year ago, there was no vaccine. All you could do is try your best, although some tried better than others because people were still going out and partying and doing whatnot. But uh, I think now there is really no excuse. You, 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 there's a vaccine and you could do that and you can still do the other things and not get sick. Yeah, without getting, I don't know if the words are political or not, but, you know. Still, Unfortunately, there's, there's, other people have made it political, but yes, yeah, I, I see and, where you're going. And there's a lot of people that that still, they don't, they just don't like vaccines and don't believe in vaccines and whatever. It is what it is. You can be that person, and if you're an NFL player, I guess if you want to play, then you're going to figure out a way. Right. I mean, that's That's really all there is to it. And that's the other thing, too. I mean, some of these other leagues, like you said, with baseball, there are all these long breaks and stuff. We had them in the NHL, too. I mean, look at the the Dallas Stars had like two weeks where like almost all the games were canceled and had to be some were rescheduled, some weren't. Oh, that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it it did happen in the NHL as well. Um, I'm thinking of the last summer when they came back in August of 2020. Okay. Yeah. And they played August and September, and sure. uh, yeah, they didn't have any. They didn't miss any games then. But yes, you are correct. That did happen in in twenty twenty one. So I, mean, I, I do stand corrected there. I was thinking of the the pre prior season, but yes, it's pretty much inevitable. Somebody gets sick, they're going to spread it. I mean, look, remember a few years back when there was that whole mumps thing that, mm-hmm. that ran through the NHL. I mean, yeah. so you know, any type of sickness or disease it's that highly contagious it's and guys are with each other 24 7 spitting on each other bleeding on each other breathing on each other i mean it's it's inevitable that it's going to happen but um yeah i i agree i think it's good that the nhl's taking a stand and this is what it is so we'll see how it works out once the season starts yes indeed so our, a few notable players have uh recently retired you want to talk about those guys well i don't know if we would call him notable per se well pecorine i know that's old news but he's notable pecorine retired which um people thought it was going to happen but i don't know if anybody thought it was actually going to happen this year necessarily Mm -hmm. uh but longtime nashville predator i think he spent his whole career on nashville Mm -hmm. um he did so he'll he'll definitely be missed you know, recently over this past weekend, Victor Stahlberg retired. And for those that thought, I didn't even know he was still playing. Well, he hasn't played since sixteen seventeen. He's been playing over in the Swiss League and in the KHL. But he decided to officially retire from the NHL this past week. We had uh, Anders Nilsson, the goalie, retired a couple weeks ago. We had uh, Penguins legend Yannick Weber. <laughs> he... He decided to retire, uh, and I say that in jest because he was on the Penguins roster, and I, I can't think of a single game that he got to actually play it. Maybe he did. I don't know. 
He was on the uh, he was on their taxi squad for the playoffs this this past year. Hmm. But um, Matt Calvert is another one that that retired. And uh, who am I forgetting? Nick Chalmerson. Yes. Super Nintendo Chalmerson. Super Nintendo. Well, Ch- well, as Doc Emmerich would call him, Chalmerson. Uh huh. But it's Yalmerson, like Y A L. I got a great Yalmerson story that I'd like to share because now seems to be the uh, opportune time to share my memories of uh, Nicholas Yalmerson. Do share. So it's 2008. Me and my girlfriend at the time, we were going to go to uh, ice skating in downtown Chicago. They have something called Skate on State, where they have like an ice rink on State Street, which is like one of the the major streets downtown. And uh, I don't know if they still call it Skate on State, but that doesn't matter. They call it something different now. But it's ice skating in the middle of the city, downtown. It's awesome. When I went to college, downtown... Sometimes I just grab my ice skates and walk a mile up the road and, you know, skate in the middle of the day. You know what I mean? Because it was free. It was a free open skate. And it's just awesome to be ice skating outside in the middle of winter, in the middle of the city, downtown. And I know that this one plus, time. Where are you going to find open skate in the daytime? In an right. active rink? Nowhere. And free. Free. Nowhere in America. Look, when you're in college, you got to take the free stuff as it comes. And so. I played a little hockey as a kid, and I was always a recreational skater. So when I moved away to college, I brought my skates with me, and I'd go, I'd go ice skating, you know, when, when I could. But now, in 2008, I remember on their website, they said, come meet some of the Chicago Blackhawks and get autographs. So, you know, most people would be like, ooh, an autograph from a Blackhawks player. I'm going to get them to sign the brim of my hat because that seems to be like whatever yokel gets signed, right? I mean, if you didn't plan on it and didn't bring anything, sure. If you're wearing right. a hat, but here, sign this. Guys like you and me, not only do we plan, but then we obsess about what we're going to bring, right? Like Sometimes, we figure yeah. it out. We have a plan. Yeah, I'm not going to hand them a, a camouflage trucker hat that says Bass Pro Shop and say, here, sign this because that right. means nothing. It means nothing, right. So I call the information line because they don't say who's signing. And so I say to I say to the lady, I say, can you find out who's signing autographs so I can bring, you know, maybe some hockey cards to get signed. I'm really excited about this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Let me look. And then I could just hear the panic in her voice. She, goes, she had no idea. No, because she can't read the names in front oh, of her. There we she go. goes, she goes, oh, God. And I go, oh, I bet these names are kind of hard to say. And then she goes, and I'm like, it's pronounced Bufflin. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, Dustin Bufflin. She's like, okay, Bufflin. Bifuglian. Bifuglian, right, as I like to call him. But yeah, so she's like, right. And then she's like, oh, God. And like, it's pronounced Yalmerson. And she's like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, Yalmerson. She's agreeing with me because she can't read these names in front of her. And she goes, oh, and Henry. And I go, Henry, because it was Jordan Henry, not Henry. But whatever. She got excited that there was a name that she thought she could pronounce. But I just thought that was funny that she just like, she's like, oh, God. Like, she sees these names and she's like, I I don't know how to say these names. Nice. So then. She's qualified to do a hockey podcast then. Hey, I've I've mispronounced my fair share of names, I'm I'm sure. 
So it's like, you know what it's like? It's like when I'm I'm a, I'm a teacher and it's like the first day of class when I have to like pronounce everybody's name, names, you know, I, I see the names and like most of the time, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm half Pakistani and I got a lot of students from like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or India or Afghanistan. And like, I, I have no problems pronou- pronouncing their names. And I'll always say, did I say that right? And be like, yeah, wow. <laughs> Not only did you say that right, but you like, you, it was like perfect, like spot on, right? I think the biggest screw up was I had a student named Kirsten and I read it as Kristen and she got really, she's like, it's Kirsten. And I looked and I'm like, really? And I looked down, I'm like, oh yeah, it's Kirsten. Huh. <laughs> oh, but anyway. That, that reminds me of the, uh, the the old Key and Peel sketch. Did you ever see that one? Which with, one? Uh, I used to watch with, these guys with, all the time. With Mr. Garvey as the substitute teacher in the classroom. He's taking role and he's like trying to read the names and like it's uh, uh, like the kid's name's Blake. No, he reads it. Balake. 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 Is there a Balake here? And then it's Denise, but he's like, D nice. D nice. Hey, we <laughs> where's D nice? And A Aaron, because it's Aaron. Oh, a- Aaron. Yeah, actually I had I had a, a classmate in high school named Aaron, spelled A-A-R-O-N, so I'd call him A Aaron. Yeah. Because he was he a bit of an A-hole, so it just or... seemed appropriate. Oh, he has Jacqueline. He's like Jay Quellen. Jay Quellen. Jay Quellen. <laughs> so getting back to Yalmerson, I go to this skating, this ice skating, and like you show up, they had like the Blackhawks. It was like outdoors and it was cold, but they had like the Blackhawks inside like this tent. And the line was only like 30, 40 people because this was like early 2008. So your line for a Blackhawk autograph was going to be 30, 40 people, right? And so they would just basically let you in like two or three at a time or like your whole family in at a time and then you wait for that family to go and then the next group would come in or whatever. And so I had a Dustin Bufflin Young Guns card because he had a card in 0607. So I had an extra one. I got that signed. And then Yalmerson and Hendry did not have any cards in 0607 or 0708. So I found some photos online and I printed them out at Walgreens and then I brought them to get signed because that was just the next best thing I could think of, right? Like I wanted to have something that that pictured the players and Hendry signed his picture and actually I printed one at Bufflin and he signed that as well. And then uh, Yalmerson, I printed a couple pictures of him as a Blackhawk, the same picture, but then I also printed a picture of him in a Team Sweden jersey. And I slide those over and the first one he looks at uh Yalmerson looks at is the picture of 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 him I thought it was him in the team Sweden jersey and he just looks he's like that's not me man which was, was really funny hearing that in a Swedish accent for him to say man you know it's like that's not me man and I'm like oh I- I'm so sorry uh who is that like me assuming that he would just know every Swedish hockey player but to be fair <laughs> to be fair Yalmerson is an elite player, and this guy is wearing a Team Sweden jersey, so he's also an elite player. So I think it would be fair for one elite Swedish player to know another elite Swedish player, right? Because these guys kind of were in, like, the same cauldron or whatever, right? Maybe. Just kind of like how, like, um, 
when uh, a couple of years ago when I interviewed Mike Brown, who played for the U.S. National Development Team, of course he knew all those guys like Patrick Kane and whatnot because they were, you know, even they were like a couple of years apart or whatever, they were all going through the same, you know, international program. So uh, anyway, so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. I said, you know, I said the website was in Swedish and I couldn't read it and your name was on the page and I made the false assumption that it was you. It was like, ah, no problem. And then he signed the other two pictures and it was just, it was nice. You know, it was a nice experience. And then I'd see him again every now and then at Blackhawk conventions, I'd get something signed. And he was just always just a really great, you know, great to the fans, but also great on the ice, hell of a shot blocker. Uh, I remember in 2010 after the Hawks, Won the Stanley Cup. The Sharks tried to sign him. The Hawks matched the offer. And then the Sharks made an offer to um, Antti Niemi and got him instead. So uh, this is kind of funny that his salary skyrocketed after 2010 because the Sharks made him a lucrative offer. You know, and of course he went on and played for the Coyotes. And kind of sad to see, you know, like the guys who are such a big part of your, your team's dynasty, like, end up on the Coyotes, but I guess that's where Brent Seabrook technically is now because his contract got traded there. That's where his contract is. That's where his money is. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean that's where uh that's where Marion Hosa's contract went. It's like I mean, it's like the Blackhawks bury these contracts in the desert, like literally in Arizona. Arizona takes on a lot of that because they just they don't have the cap. So Right. Got to get to a certain point, so you got to take on that extra salary. They've been that team. Hopefully that, hopefully they'll bring themselves out of that. But so should know. we talk some uh, hockey cards or some we, trading cards? Because we, we want to talk about a non-hockey card. Well, we should talk about a non-hockey hockey card or a few non-hockey hockey cards first. Yeah, go for it, man. Where do we want to start? Well, we've uh, already I already mentioned the Allen and Ginter stuff with Mike Lang. Might as yeah. well mention the other Allen and Ginter that uh is out there so included in this year's allen and ginter as well are none other than the hansen brothers from the movie Slapshot. um so you got uh, a card of dave hansen you got a card of jeff carlson and a card of steve carlson um and that's pretty cool because they're wearing the um what looks like a chief's jersey not sure if it actually is a Chiefs jersey, but it's at least the colors of the Chiefs jersey. So that's kind of cool. And of course, they're wearing their signature glasses with the tape in the middle and and all that. So that's kind of neat. But um, the big thing that was <laughs> revealed in the last few days as these cards have started to become uncovered is the fact that Jeff Carlson's card does not have his bio on the back. Let me clarify that. It has the bio of Jeff Carlson, just not this Jeff Carlson. In fact, it's a completely and utterly different. And, um, you know, over the years, the cards have been made where it's been the wrong player on the photo or the wrong picture or, you know, stats were incorrect and things like that. I don't know that I've ever seen a card of an actor portrayed on the front with their correct picture and the whole back explains another actor. So the back of the card, Jeff Carlson being the Hanson brother, instead says on the back, Carlson broke new ground when he joined the All My Children cast 
in 2006 to play Zoe, who was the first daytime drama character to come out as transgender. Says Jeff's mother, who is a longtime fan of the show, actually named him after one of her favorite characters. Carlson trained at New York's Juilliard School and made his acting debut on Broadway. So I saw the back of this card and I'm like, what? And even just like looking at the picture on the front, it's like this hockey guy. And then the back is talking about like acting on all my children and being on Broadway and going to like acting school. And I mean, there's being transgendered. Right. Does anybody proofread these cards? Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. And it makes you wonder, did they actually intend to have the Hanson brothers or did they intend to have this guy? Or did they intend both and just something happened? They might have intended both and they might have um, then decided, oh, we have two people with the same name. Let's drop one. Let's let's do the Hanson brothers now. Right. Let's do these these three actors who played the Hanson brothers in Slapshot and then save this other Carlson for a later release and not have like two different people with the same name in the same set of cards. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, unless you got to do that sometimes, like when you, when you're like a set of hockey cards and you have like a guy named Greg Adams and another guy named Greg Adams, which always drove me nuts because I'd always get the wrong Greg Adams card when I was trying to complete my 87, 88 tops hockey set. But like, that's a pretty glaring mistake. I mean, when you said to me there was a mistake, I thought it was going to be um, like they mixed this Carlson with that Carlson or whatever. Like Jeff you know? was marked. Jeff was marked as as uh, Steve, and Steve was marked as Mike, and Mike was marked as or Dave or whatever. And, well, there was like an yeah, autograph like mix card up. that like screwed up their na- like screwed up their names and their pictures. Oh yeah. I want those Hanson brother cards though. I do want them. I mean, anything hockey, especially if it's in like a non hockey set. I, uh, you know, I still don't have a Doc Emmerich from last year's Allen and Ginther. And I actually bought packs of A&G trying to get that card. Well, I can, I usually will pull the hockey guys out of the, of the non-sport or multi-sport products. Uh, last year I, I pulled as many Doc Emmerichs as I could. Um, how many packs did you buy? None. I just oh, bought them just all bought secondary. Them I bought them all secondary and then from like the quarter boxes at, at card shows. So you're then, the reason why I can't get a Doc Emmerich, Allen and Ginther card. I don't, you have, have, I don't have that many. I, most of the ones I have are like the different variants. Gotcha. Um, but I have at least the base, the hot box and the regular mini version of each of the Hanson brothers on their way already. Um, it's interesting. Like, like looking at this year's Allen and Ginter checklist of, the ones that I would go after. I mean, I still, I still eventually put together like the pirate team set um, because I still collect pirates. Um, but usually I'll find like one subject in the checklist, but this year is interesting because not only are all three Hanson brothers in there, but they have the Mike Lang cards and there's also a Rocky Blyer one, which I also um, am interested in. So Rocky Blyer, the uh, old running back from, or fullback from the the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers back in the seventies when they won all the Super Bowls. So, mm-hmm. uh, and he fought in Vietnam and all that kind of stuff. So he's got an interesting story. But uh, yeah, he's he's got a card in Allen and Ginter too. So there's quite a few that I'm interested in, but definitely the the hockey subjects 
with the Hansons. And there's autograph versions too. In fact, there's a um, there's an autograph card that has all three of them signed. That one's a pretty penny on eBay right now. Those that I'm have surfaced sure already. Sure it is. Yeah. So why don't you talk about the Project 70 card, the Topps Project 17 baseball card, which has a very interesting hockey connection. Yeah, we uh, don't normally talk about, you know, we didn't talk about Topps 2020 when it was all the rage, and we haven't really talked about Project 70, which is the next version of artists creating cards based off of themes and different various sets through over the years, but... On Friday the 13th, one of the releases came out was a Dave Parker card uh, back when he played for the Pirates. And the theme of the card that was used was an old photo um, back in 1978. Dave Parker got his jaw broken um, and he was in the middle of rehabbing. But if you know anything about the Pirates back in the late 70s, they were kind of a powerhouse team and were uh, perennial World Series. Um, I don't want to say favorites. favorites, but definitely uh, in the mix. You know, those mm-hmm. whole We Are Family teams in the late 70s, early 80s that that won championships. Dave Parker was a big part of that and a major offensive force because he was a power hitter. And, you know, they needed him. So... Secretly, he was still working out and practicing and all that kind of stuff. The only real thing that was that he couldn't do was do batting practice. So he was secretly doing that on like a a local park field, like when nobody was watching. He would go out and take batting practice on like a, in a park and stuff. But uh, he came back early from his injury, and they decided to give him a mask to wear. And instead of putting like some kind of face guard or something on him, he wore a hockey mask. And there's uh, photos out there of, of him wearing the hockey mask. And he, I mean, I'll be honest, he looks pretty badass. I mean, he already so, looked badass as it is, but putting that, him putting that mask on, he's, he's pretty badass. So just to clarify, this is a, like a, a 70s style goalie mask, like something sure. you see like Bernie Perrant wear. Right. Um, uh, you know, like the, that, that covers the face. And he cut off the top of it, like right above the eyebrows, so he could still wear a batting helmet, right. um, or or a hat, like if he was base running. Kind of, um, kind of think of like the old, uh, like like the old Milex street hockey masks. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like that, but with the top cut off. Um, so yeah, so he there's there's there are various photos of him, and they took one, uh, one of the famous photos of him, kind of a side profile, and they used that as the subject of the card, and. Made for a pretty cool looking card, so I was able, I was able to grab one before they expired. So that was probably the greatest baseball photo not used on a baseball card up until now. Yeah, I don't recall ever seeing that on a card necessarily. Well, now and it's not a photo; it's an illustration, but it doesn't matter because it's still really awesome looking. And actually, it features two illustrations. It has. Uh, one, the, the side view of Parker kind of looking down a little bit. Um, that's probably the more famous one. And then the other one, it's like he's looking the other way and he's got like three bats over his shoulder, like he's like warming up or whatever. And it's just, it's a really damn cool card. And I got to tell you, I was not aware that that happened until one of our writers, Kyle Scully, wrote a story about that for Puck Junk a couple of years ago. And then I was just like, wow, that's really cool, right? And um, so... 
that was always on my radar. And I remember getting a copy of that photo signed for uh, Kyle at a show. And Parker's, I don't know if it was his, I don't think it was his wife. I don't think he's married. Looked like a girlfriend. It was, it was a, it was a, a little younger than him. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But she was with him and she was like kind of like hanging on his every word and whatever. And, 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 and then he looked at that. He's like, he looked at the photo. I, I handed him the photo and, oh, could you decide it here? He goes, oh, yeah, look at that. You know, like he was just like, oh, that's that's really cool. You know, like, oh, that's cool. I haven't seen that in a while. And like actually everybody who was in the line to get his autograph had like most of them had baseball cards. And they're like, whoa, what is with that photo? Like when when you walk into a line of um, people getting Dave Parker's autograph and you're like wowing everybody with what you're bringing to get signed, you've really brought something unique, but it wowed him too. And so he's explaining to his lady friend, he's like, yeah, I had a you know broken jaw or whatever. And then he's just like, yeah. And I was like, you know, when I was doing warm ups, I was, I was hitting the I was hitting the ball into like the second tier and the third tier. And I, I had no problem. And I was just swinging it and, and doing great. He's like, and then I get to the plate in the game and they walk me. Yep. Intentionally walked him. Intentionally walked him. But he loved, you know, seeing that photo and he wanted to talk about it for a minute and he wanted to tell her about it. And he was like, everybody was like crowding in to like hear what he was saying about it. And uh, so he just thought it was a cool story. So I actually bought two copies of that card because maybe one day I'll get one signed by him because that would be a cool hockey-esque baseball card to get signed. I think that'd be pretty neat because it's a, such a cool picture and it's got such a cool story behind it. Well, and the other thing too is that photo on the card that they use that side profile one. So you see it, the mask is yellow. So it's like pirates yellow or Steelers yellow or penguins yellow. I mean, they're all the same color. Yeah. But the other side of the mask is black. Right. So it's two-tone. So if you're looking at him dead on with that mask, he's pretty scary. And if you imagine that as a pitcher, like that guy steps up to the plate, knowing that it's Dave Parker, number one, the Cobra, and he's going to make you pay for whatever you throw him in the first place. And then to see him in that mask, it's even more intimidating. But the, the other cool thing is the reason why a lot of people haven't seen that before, or it's new to them is because he didn't wear it very much. I mean, Just there was that only, one game. If I yeah, it was like right. one, it was like one or two games, and that was it. Because after that, he switched to a football helmet, right? Uh, or not a helmet, but uh, the cage. He right. went to the football cage in the front. So first, he had the the front bars, like the double bars, mm-hmm. and then he went to the full the, the full split lineman type. Yeah, thing. like the full split bars with the dividers in between. So, mm-hmm. and this was all because he was. I mean, he was trying to rehab as quick as possible to get back in the lineup. And, uh, yeah, so you have that instance of there. And I think we talked about the other one, too. Like, they they did another Friday the 13th-themed one with uh, Acuna as well, where he's wearing, like, a Jason hockey mask, which I didn't think that one was as cool. I didn't buy it. Yeah. Just because somebody draws a a goalie mask on somebody doesn't mean that I'm going to buy it, but... The, the Parker card that was like, yeah, I need this. I need this in my life. This makes my life better. This makes my collection better. So whenever they decide to ship them, hopefully one day I'll I'll grab one of those. I wish I could. I wish they made a card of uh, Parker sitting in the dugout, um, puffing on puffing on a heater. Because I've seen a few pictures like that that are pretty cool looking. 
back when the guys used to smoke in the dugout. Uh, speaking of smoking, do you want to talk about the other uh, famous former pirate in the news? The other famous former pirate in the news. Who are we talking about? Hannes Wagner? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, so, man. Hannes Wagner's in the news. He rose from the dead. No, uh, he played and... for the Pirates, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, yeah, he like 110 years ago, but still. Yeah, I said he's in the news. He rose from the dead, and he's now a spokesman for those tobacco companies. For um, for vaping. Yeah, for vaping. That he's would be just... big supporter of that now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the, the world-famous... As I call it, the capital T, capital H, capital E baseball card that is iconic and is is the baseball card, the Hannes Wagner T two o six tobacco card sold for six point six million dollars the other day in uh, Robert Edwards auction. Six point six million. Dollars. There's some Dr. Evil money right there. This Million. Is, yes. This is now the highest selling baseball card of all time. I had the opportunity at the National this year uh, going by the auction booth. They had the card on display. So I got to take a picture of the card uh, and see it in real life. It's uh, SGC graded. Uh, so it's slabbed. Uh, it's a grade three. Not that that even matters remotely in the least when it comes to a card like this, in my mind. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the big thing about this, people ask, uh, how could a card sell for $6 million? Well, it didn't. It sold for 6.6. But how could it sell for 6.6? Because it can. You know, there's probably less than 50 of these known to exist in the entire world. You know, part of that reason is it was a tobacco card and Hannes Wagner hated cigarettes and hated tobacco and wasn't allegedly well there's many many stories about there's many many stories as to Uh, why the card is so damn hard to find and and the the most famous of which is he basically told the company i do not endorse this stop and so they pulled what they had and got rid of it and so these were the few that actually made it out into the wild so there might be 50 there might be 200 there might be 30 we don't know some of them are probably buried in somebody's great aunt's barn upstairs in a trunk full of 1920s flapper costumes. Who knows? We don't know. But uh, this particular one was unearthed back in the 70s. I know it had been bought and sold multiple times, but uh, finally they locked it down. And here we are in 2021 with the hobby booming $6.6 million. There's an interesting uh, conversation going on social media that I sort of started um, with a comment from early in the morning Mm -hmm. after I saw a bunch of people complaining that, if you can believe that, people complaining on the internet. No, No, never Um, happens. Yeah. Some folks were voicing their disdain that it was in an SGC slab and not a PSA slab. Because if it would have been a PSA, it would have been at least $8 million or more. Um, What is thought that was a total joke and hilarious uh and stupid but you know psa fanboys will be psa fanboys and they'll defend them to the death and try to disparage everything else but regardless i mean sga is very popular for vintage cards and people like to have the that tuxedo slab where they have the black background and 
you know, it is what it is. A grade is a grade, whether you agree with it or not. Somebody subjectively threw whatever they felt was on it, and it is what it is. So 6.6 million, grade three, SGC, whatever. We were talking, to the point, we were talking about what if it was graded higher? What would it have sold? What if it was a five? What, was it, what if it was an eight? What if somebody somewhere found a 10? And what do you think it would sell for? And it's interesting to think about that because if you look at normal cards and how they sell based off of grades, exponentially they go up when you hit some of the higher grades. You know, a lot of times anything below an eight kind of sells the same as raw for modern. Right. Uh, in a lot of cases. But vintage, especially something like that that's rare and they know it's rare. I mean, when's the last time you saw a Hannes Wagner not go for hundreds of thousands of dollars? Right. And when the, they have sold. The first time I remember that card being sold was the one that uh, Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall bought back in, like, I think 1991. I remember it went for $451,000, which seemed unimaginable 30 years ago that a baseball card would go for almost half a million dollars. And now that's almost chump change compared to what some of these cards are going for. I mean, like now we're just seeing cards routinely going for a million or two million, you know, whether it's um, Tom Brady or Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan or, you know, Wagner. I mean, it's it's gotten ridiculous. Like, like I've said before, like everything surprises me and nothing surprises me. Like I was like six point six million dollars, and then I was like, yeah, okay. And you know the thing I will say though about grading is I think with like a really old card and a really rare card like that, more than anything, I think like they're grading it just more than anything verifies its authenticity because it's such a rare card. If one comes up for auction and you want to buy it, you're going to buy it. You're not going to say, oh, I'm going to wait for a PSA seven. <laughs> well. <laughs> That's only a JSA five or a PSA six or a BGS four. You're like, I'm going to buy this damn card because they don't come up very often. Well, they don't come up as often as a Michael Jordan rookie, which there are many more Michael Jordan rookies. Of out course there, there are. So, and, and that's part of that argument is anybody that was at the national that walked the show floor and looked in display cases, you will know that there are lots of Jordan rookies out there. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots. I mean, other than the 89 Upper Deck Griffey card, I think I saw those two cards more than any other cards th- that whole entire show. Mm-hmm. It seemed like every table's display case had at least one in it, except right. for this weird guy up towards the front that only had hockey cards. Hey, but, I had some anyway. basketball cards. <laughs> I just didn't look hard enough. I pretty much didn't want to look at anything other than that but but yeah i mean so if this comes up and and the other thing too is this isn't a card that you and i are going to buy because we're never going to be able to afford that even something graded as a one i mean look i get the point of wanting it to be sealed away protected and authenticated because i mean heck that gretzky mcnall that we first talked about that was the very first card that psa graded and guess what it was trimmed and it has one of the highest it had one of the highest grades of any of the known Wagner cards, but it mm-hmm. was cut and it was trimmed. So those weren't the authentic edges of it. Yeah, the card was real, but it was doctored. 
And so, you know, there's some of that that plays into these. I've seen specimens of this card ripped in half at shows before. Like, there'll be a dealer that has it. The card's torn in half. So they have the top part. It's authentic. It's already been, you know, marked authentic. But it's only half of a card. And it still sells for tens of thousands of dollars. So, I mean, you're talking, like I said, this is the card, capital T, the card. And so 6.6 million. And if the hobby keeps going the way it is the next couple of years, it wouldn't surprise me if you don't see this, a specimen like this, hit 10 million. It really wouldn't. All right. Just want to give a couple of quick updates uh, about this, some of the new and upcoming releases. So ProSet Memories is now pushed back to September 17th, which is fine because that buys me more time to decide how many boxes I'm going to buy, if any. Uh, I did notice that the pre-sale price has now dropped down for between 160 to 165 uh, which is better than originally. It was, I think it was touted at like 170 or 180 Now it's down to about 160 Then uh, for Upper Deck products, September 1st, SP Authentic and uh, uh, Skybox Metal Universe. September 22nd, Upper Deck Ice. September 29th, OPG Platinum. And then as far as next year's product, 2122 MVP has a release date of December 1st for retail and December 29th for hobby. I'm sure that box set will be out before Christmas, though. It should be out before Christmas because they usually do that. It always hits right around Thanksgiving. And I it wouldn't surprise one. me if those dates change change too. Because oh yeah, well everything's I mean, been changing. Yeah, we've had everything moved and removed and moved again. So I found that interesting. Even though MVP is the lower end product, I found it interesting that there's almost a month between retail and then hobby. A lot of times you see hobby first and then retail, but this is opposite. That is really strange that it's going to hit hobby shops later. That's kind of um. Kind of stings the hobby shops a little bit, I think. And then uh, the other thing I want to point out really quick is that uh, Upper Deck Series 1 has a release date of November 17th. And uh, OPG for 21-22 has a release date of January 6th. So Upper Deck Series 1 is still coming out in November, right in time for the uh, Fall Expo in Toronto. But all these other sets for 21-22 are getting pushed to the very end of the year. And it seems like our late summer, early fall releases are still going to be 2021 sets. And we're really not getting the 21-22 sets until 2022, which is interesting. And also makes me wonder, are they just pushing it back? Or is OPG and MVP going to have a slightly stronger rookie class if they're coming out after Series 1? And Series 1 always has some players who made their debut early in the season and the season is slated to start October 12th. Yeah. And the other thing too, is you still have a number of 2020, 21 releases that we didn't mention right now, for instance, the cup, because those that are thinking, wait a minute, the cup came out. Yeah. That was 1920 cup. The cup always comes out like way late. So the 2021 cup, we may not see till maybe next year. I don't think they have a date for it yet, but I saw a clear cut on the list uh -huh. for 2021 or 21, 22. And 
I did see someone dropped a sell sheet for Synergy um, for 21-22. Did it make you puke? Um, no, I didn't look at it really. I just oh. saw that I saw it was on there, and I saw that there was going to be details, and I didn't really read what was going on because I'm, you know, synergy. I may I may regrettably buy a pack or two off of EPAC, but that's about as far as I go on that. So, good segue because speaking of EPAC, 2021 Upper Deck Extended, which we're going to talk about in a minute, as promised, is on EPAC for 4.99. And it's also available as the free packs, if you like the purple parallel versions. Parkhurst for 2021 is sold out, uh, although it has the last two years available. This year is sold out. And then Grandeur coins are 50% off. Well, 50% off, what are they normally retail for? About 100, so it'd be like 50 bucks. But yeah, I bet that seems to be like 50 bucks is like the going rate now for Grandeur. 50 bucks seems to be the only price point that they'll actually sell at. Because I, I know on good authority, and I will not name names, but a heavyweight in the card community, as far as a business, many of their employees went to a booth at the National and basically bought all they had of the Grandeur coins for 40 bucks a piece. Wow. So, and they had quite a few at that table. So, I believe and they were wiped out. Bought them from Upper Deck or bought them from no. this? Upper Deck didn't have a booth. They bought them from a retailer. Uh, an online retailer that had a, at their table of all their boxes and everything they were selling, they had Granger coins in the packs, selling them for basically the half price. Mm. And a group went and basically snagged all of them. <laughs> so, well, you know, at 40 bucks a box, I would have picked one up, thought about it, and then put it back down because I. Call me crazy, but I got a theory here as to why Grandeur just didn't resonate with with card collectors. And I think it's because card collectors like cards and not coins. Well, I mean, Pinnacle Mint didn't go over too well. Yeah, but Pinnacle Mint was still kind of a cheap set. Like, it wasn't like, I mean, I don't know what they cost back in the day, maybe $3.99 a pack. And at that point, everything was like $3.99 a pack. But it wasn't like $100 for one coin. It was heavy card stock, glossy. They had the die cut cards. They had silver, bronze, gold, mm-hmm. and chances at an actual gold coin. Which right, I to this day I still can't distinguish the difference between some some of those coins. Like people claim that they have a gold coin, and I look at it, I'm like, nah, that's bronze. Or they claim to have the real gold coin, and mm-hmm. like eh, it's probably just the fake one. Like who knows? But anyway, that's besides the point. So let's talk about extended series because I know we've brought this up before and it's funny because earlier today they're like, didn't we talk about extended series? I'm like, yeah, when we had Billy Celio on the show, we talked about extended series and he told us all the great info about the set is coming up. And you're like, no, no, we talked about it like when we did our national recap. And then I like kind of went back to our old podcast and I'm like, oh yeah, we did actually talk about extended series in our past two podcasts because I was just so excited about it. I kept saying like, oh, it's a month away. Oh, it's a day away. Oh, it's a week away. You know, whatever. Yeah, we talked about when it hit, but neither neither of us had any of it at that point. But we both do now. Well, you bought two boxes at the National and I bought three boxes. So I think we are pretty 
we are pretty well versed now in uh, most things because I didn't pull every single type of insert. But I think once you buy three boxes of a product, you got a two or three boxes, you got a really good feel of what that product is like. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of obviously you're not going to get some of the the uber short prints or maybe some of the the unannounced parallels and things like that. But you know, three boxes definitely four boxes but three boxes you're probably going to hit the vast majority of what's what's available so thinking of a of a of a rating system that i thought like when i think of like hockey cards listen i even like bad hockey cards and i don't mean just like you know funny funny cards that are stupid i mean like even like a an early 2000s like upper deck victory set, I'd still rather have that than like a baseball set. Other than maybe a Griff, a Griffey rookie, I do want an 89 upper deck baseball set. But they're still the, the printing point. them, so you should be able to get one. <laughs> but oh, I'm I sorry, did I say that out loud? Even like some of the worst sets, I still want because I love hockey cards, and I'll buy every hockey card that I can. So just thinking of like uh, going with the, um, I keep wanting to say stone cold but it's cold stone creamery ever have their ice cream i have yes okay so they have three different sizes like it love it and gotta have it right so now i want to i want to put that that's going to be my like for for this set i thought it was going to be a gotta have it but it's a love it it's not a like it a like it would just be like "Eh, okay victory i like it mvp i like it it's got hockey players on it it's got stats on it i like it you know love it it's just like yes and gotta have it is like hold my beer i'm gonna put off getting all the other sets i have to dive into this i love this set the only thing that's keeping me back from the gotta have it status is that there's just so many parallels and inserts and parallels of inserts then I'm actually a little overwhelmed. Like, I think that, like, if they took... Well, just to You knew that going into it, though. I did, but... Okay, so just to give give everybody a quick rundown, there's... uh, And these aren't all the inserts. These are just the ones that I have in my hands. You have 0506 retro versions of uh, popular players and rookies. Which is considered a parallel. But it's not, because it's got its own numbering system. And it's got a very finite checklist, and it has its own unique numbering system. So it's not a parallel set. Well, there is uh, ultimate. I think it's victory. listed as a parallel. Yeah, I mean they could be called they could be called parallels, but I think there's like ninety of them in the set. Okay. There's ultimate victory, which are like shiny foil board cards. There's something called rookie class. Uh, there's uh, pros and prospects. There's ovation. Uh, there are the French parallels and the clear-cut parallels. Uh, there's holographics and holographic rookies. There's SPX uh, Finite. Did you get any SPX Radiance or Spectrum? Um, I did get one. I don't know if it's a Radiance or the Spectrum. but uh, Depends on if it's numbered. What's 99, the number? 99. Out of 99. That's Spectrum. Yeah. So the Spectrum look really nice. The other ones, just the ones that are numbered out of... 2,999. Those are the regular finite. Yeah, they're not as nice. I kind of want them all to be like the Spectrum. The Spectrum look really cool. There's Um, a middle one that's numbered to 299, which is the Radiance. I haven't seen one in person. And then there's, uh, you know, there's, there's parallel versions of Ovation. And then I also managed in my three boxes, I got one UD3, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like those. I wanted those. I got none. 
So well, that's the thing. Out of three boxes, I only got one UD three, and that was just like, oh, yeah, these are gonna be a thing because it's like I got so many damn um, uh, 0506 retros. You know, I got like four of those, and you know, like three regulars, one rookie, and then I got like three ultimate victory, which are quickly becoming my least favorite. Because they're really just like shining stars, but with a little less shine to them, you know? Yeah, the Ultimate Victory, I think were, I think they were supposed to be like one per box, but then the rookie count was less. So you ended up getting like three in a box, two rookies and a regular one. Yeah, well, yeah. But the tributes were were one out of eight, so you probably would get four or five in a box. The 0506 cards. They were supposed to be like one out of every eight packs. So between that and the young guns, you might have got one young gun and then four or five of of the others. Right. I got I was, one young gun. I got the young gun. Who is it? Alexei Lafreniere. Oh, you got the uh, parallel? The, the 0506 young gun, yeah. Okay. I didn't get the parallel parallel, the unannounced one. Oh, yeah. So that's something we should talk about. They basically redid a card number 201, Alexei Lafreniere, but it's a game action photo and not just, you know, him doing a photo shoot photo. Yeah, to make up for all the backlash amongst the fans that I don't want a card of him with no uniform number. Well, now you got one. And it's like one in a case, one in a case or maybe two cases or Mm -hmm. maybe like we don't even know. I've seen a couple float online, but I don't know how many out there there are, and Apple Jack will never tell you. Yeah, I did pull one Dazzlers, which is funny because I didn't know that they were going to extend Dazzlers past 100, but apparently they are. So, but that was one out of three boxes, so it wasn't like well, at least in my boxes they weren't easy to come by. Uh, so, did you get any of the McDavid parallels, the ones, the Ultimate Victory ones? No. The MMXXI Mm-mm. ones. I got a couple of those. Wow. Uh, how about how about the pros and prospects? Did you get just any got those? one? Okay. Top shelf rookies. Did you get any of those? Uh, are those the ones where it look like they're standing in the bathroom? Um, no. Those okay. are rookie class SE. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't like these. Those are the rookie class SEs, um, which are similar they're very similar to the se's back in like late 90s no that's what they are they're at the se's of the 80s. i was yeah. gonna say they they look like the collector's choice ones but they don't they look right they are the se ones right and um yeah i got a bunch of those between the two boxes i don't know how many there were i think i got two extras that shouldn't have even been in there so mm-hmm. so i'll tell you this i do like the base set and most collectors would or not most collectors i can't speak for most collectors a lot of collectors don't care about all-star games because they're one game they're one day and it seems kind of silly to dedicate a card to or a bunch of cards to one game right but i love when pro set did the all-star cards in 9091 and 9192 and then when upper deck would do all-star cards although they want to do every single player but then i know like Top Stadium Club, they did, like, inserts in, like, 93, 94 Stadium Club. They were, like, all-star cards. I mean, I like the all-star game. I like the unique jerseys. 
even if they're the stupid jerseys, like the ones that had like the, the soccer style collars in like the late nineties, still, it's just cool that they're, they're players in unique jerseys. It gives you another card to collect of like your favorite player or the best players in the league. So, you know, a good chunk of the base set, I mean, is guys that like, I mean, okay, if you're really excited about Devin Taves getting a card as an avalanche player, well, this is your set because he's in there. Zidane Ochara as a capital, that's that's pretty important. I'm glad that that was in there, that, that that got put in. But there's like a lot of cards in here that I think most people would just be like, actually, I, I can't even say most people because you know what? I think for set builders, you're going to be like, yeah, Braden Holtby as a, as a Canuck, that's awesome, right? Because, you know, he's, I don't think he's with the team anymore, right? No, he was just signed by Dallas. He was just signed by Dallas, right? You know, okay, Kiefer Sherwood is a as an Avalanche, and and uh, hey, our buddy Chris Tenev as a uh, as a Calgary Flame, right? And you know, some of these guys like Nikita Zadorov is already not with the Blackhawks anymore. So I mean, like, you know, it's it's kind of neat to see these guys who played a fifty six game season and may have already moved on, you know, with another uh, another team. And then there's actually, I got this, I got the French parallel of Bobby Ryan, but what makes me laugh about that card is that behind him are cardboard cutouts of Nashville Predator fans. So it's just a funny card. Like you're going to look back at some of these photos in like 10 years and be like, oh yeah, that was the year that they didn't, or one of the two years they didn't have fans in the stands. So, you know, we're getting these really like oddball, unique, offbeat like photos where there's like, no fans or there's cardboard fans or whatever yeah there's unique photo opportunities that you're not going to have once things go finally go back to normal with with like that and i i noticed that too with some of the releases with the newer pictures on them mm-hmm. that these are going to be one-offs maybe two offs but that's mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. yeah but to your point before about you know people not liking all-star cards i can give you a couple reasons why number one there is a contingent of fans of hockey that have lost interest in the all-star game there's many that never had interest in the all-star game but there's a lot that have think the all-star game has lost its luster and let's be honest last few years even some of the players think it has because Hmm. how many players bail on the all-star game or all of a sudden come down with an injury right beforehand it happens a lot so you end up with a lot of replacement players thrown in there um that get picked after the fact so you know here's your top here's your top 20 guys uh well 17 14 uh 10 and 3 decided not to be in it okay well then let's put in 21 22 23 24 oh well 23 dropped out too okay so now it's 25 Mm -hmm. so it's like you keep moving moving players up and eventually you end up with second line guys from certain teams that end up mm. on the all-star game so I mean, it's not to take anything away from them i'm i mean but you know there i don't think there's a big a big draw for that and the other thing too is the team collectors that want the cards that say penguins or dallas or mm. chicago they say nhl all-star game so I mean, I don't know. I don't mind them. I like them because you're right. It's different. It's alternative. It has a different picture. 
it's not something you normally see, but I think a lot of people are like, yeah, all-star cards, who cares? Because so you think about before this, they were always in, they weren't in an extended because this is the first year for that. They were always in like SP as right. the, the update. Right. And so that's where you could pull them from, which means they were super short printed because you would get like three in a box maybe. Right. If that. So it was impossible to build that update set and you try to find these on secondary and stupid common cards that should be 25 cents are selling for three or four bucks. Right. Because they're basically a hit from a higher end product. Now you've you've made them base cards again, which they should be. So there's 200 base cards, two checklists, so 198 players, 44 of those are all-stars, and so then the, whatever's left over, that's basically guys who are passed over from Series 1 or Series 2, or players who change teams, like, again, like Zidane Chara in a Capitals jersey, which is kind of cool and also surreal to see at the same time. Um, but then there's only 30 young guns. Again, 29 and then one checklist. So it's a smaller, more finite, a little easier young gun checklist to put together. No real big names like you had Lafreniere in Series 1 and you had Kaprizov in Series 2. And you don't really have anybody other than, you know, the hope of getting that 0506 parallel or whatever you want to call it version of Kaprizov or the Lafreniere, you know, super short printed alternate version of 201 would be like kind of like driving reasons maybe to buy this set. Although not really, because they're just kind of like different versions of cards that already came out. Other than Arthur Kaliev from the Kings, I looked yeah. through that list when it was first released and I'm like, huh, I don't know about this. Right. Well, just but you don't know because sometimes there. you get these guys who just, they come out of nowhere and then later on <laughs> they... um no, you're you're completely right. You're completely right. But I think a lot of collectors were waiting to see some of the guys that were thrown in at the end of the season. And remember when we had Upper Deck with us, they basically said the cutoff for this was essentially February. Yep, like February so, 25th, if I remember yeah, correctly. So if they weren't in the lineup by then, all of those rookies that came the last month of the season and also played in the playoffs, nope. We're going to have to wait and see them. So, yeah. So, you know, like I said, big art. Other than him, I don't, I don't know. Nobody really stands out to me out of that list. So um, a couple of observations I just want to just throw out here about extended series. The first one is, okay, I bought three hobby boxes. And usually when I buy hobby boxes of series one, series two, I always get a one out of 100, an exclusive. Yeah. I don't think I've ever pulled a one one out of ten, but I've always every box I've ever broken of series one, series two. Many times it's a base card. One time it was a Taylor Hall Young Gun. So I mean, there there was a time which would have been the best one to pull that year, but I did not get a one out of one hundred. Now they do have them in this set, but I'm gonna just say they're probably not as frequent. Whatever you want to extrapolate from that. It could be that maybe this set has a lower printing than the other two sets, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe because there's 20 less young guns, you know, that right there, 20 times 100, and then the one out of 10, so 20 times 10. So those are all potential inserts that 
are not getting put into the product. I got one in one of our boxes. Okay. But in the other box, there was a clear cut. Uh, well, two of my boxes had a clear cut and one didn't. And two of them had a French version and one didn't. I think only one had a plain clothes variant. I didn't get any of those. I did get French in both. I didn't get I didn't get any jersey cards. I didn't get any autograph cards. Now, autograph cards Autographs are, are like impossible. Yeah, they used to be kind of like maybe one in every couple of boxes in series one, series two. Maybe not this year, but I'm just saying in past years. They it wasn't like impossible to pull an autograph from upper deck series one or series two, right? It's always been tough. I mean tough, but not impossible. Yeah, maybe not impossible. If you were busting multiple boxes, you would probably pull something, but a lot of those autographs were case hits. Oh, I see. And the checklist, many, many years, the checklists were rough, too. They'd make them tiered. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Is there a Crosby auto in there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The chances of you getting it are slim to none. Right. I don't know. Were there, I don't even remember reading if there were autos. There had to have been. There have to be autos. In well, there. there are in this set, but they're like surprise versions, okay. like surprise cards. There's I think old... the Spectre ones have the those SE Spectrum. Uh huh. The rookie class SEs. I think there's mm-hmm. a Spectrum auto version of them, but I think they were like one out of two thousand packs or something like that. There are gold versions of holographics, and there are numbered versions of Ultimate Victory. I think that's one thing that maybe made me burn out on this a little quickly is that was an overwhelming amount of inserts. And then there were like a lot of parallel versions of the same inserts. And I think that's what kind of annoys me a little bit is like, let me ask you this though, three boxes. Did you get a base set? You know what? I honestly have not had the chance to sort them. Well, I can tell you two boxes. I did not. I feel like I did. Even in my third box, I saw cards that I didn't recognize. And, you know, the other thing I did, I did partially sort the all-star cards because there are unannounced parallels, photo variations of some of the all-star cards, including Connor McDavid. Um, Of course, I don't have the parallel version, but there's like four or five cards where they used a different photo of the player. And so I was checking to see... I got any photo variants what made me think that I might have was that 23 of my 24 packs in every box had a hit now usually when I have a box that doesn't or a pack that doesn't have a hit in a in the hobby box of upper deck series one or series two and I, well this sucks this is eight base cards when I went back and looked I'm like oh this is a French version or oh Mika Zibanejad is wearing a suit right and I would know that okay these are like the, the special parallel or photo variant versions. This one, all three boxes, every box had one pack that did not have a hit. I think that's depressing when you spend more than three bucks for a pack of cards and it doesn't have a hit. Like, even if the hit is just a French version or whatever. By hit, you're just talking something that's not a base card. Something that's not a base card. Come on, man. $3, $3.50 a pack. Give me something that's not a base card. See, I didn't mind that because I knew that going into it. Like, when we talked to Upper Deck about this, and it was like, insert, 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 insert. I'm like, so this is basically, here's a couple base cards. It, this is all insert. So that's what I was expecting. But I was also expecting that two boxes, I should at least be able to put a base set together when there's less cards. When I can open two boxes of Series 1 or Series 2 and 
pretty much guarantee that I'm going to get a full base set out of both. You know, and three's always cards. been three's been my magic number, and actually, it's the same amount of base cards. It's two hundred. Well, I'm twenty, I believe, twenty four cards short out of mm-hmm. those two boxes. So that tells you how many inserts. <laughs> There's a lot. But right. I was fine with, like I said, I was fine with that. It was cool to see some of those old designs uh, pop up there and, you know, see some of the interesting things that came out of the product. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I liked that more than, honestly, I liked opening Extended more than I liked opening Series 1 or 2. I agree. I agree. This was a lot more fun. Like, I want to be able to build the set. And as long as it doesn't interfere with, like, the number of young guns that you get, I'm fine with these extra inserts. I mean, I kind of go through lo- a love-hate thing with inserts. Like, we were all kind of bored of Shining Stars. I know Billy Celio brought that up, that it kind of seemed a little stale, so they got rid of that. And that's fine, because to me, it was just like, mm, shiny card of popular player, okay? You can get that in pretty much any set, you know what I mean? But some of these ones, like, particularly, I like this UD3 card I got of Ryan O'Reilly, and I'll be sure to post a picture of it. Because it has like a shiny kind of holographic background behind them. And I would like a whole set like this. Plus their die cut too. Oh yeah, their die cut. And this one is numbered. I don't know if they're all numbered, but this one in particular is. If I get one in every three boxes, it should be numbered at that point, right? The UD3s are all numbered. Good to know. So like the base ones are numbered out of a thousand. Mm -hmm. The rookies with base ones are out of a thousand also. If you have anything numbered less than that, it's going to be a gold parallel. Gotcha. Yeah, and then not only does it have, like, a holographic background, but it has, like, shiny foil for, like, the, the borders. Like, on mine, it's, like, got these, like, red borders that really pop. Yeah. The rookie class ones, they just look like they're standing in, like, a shower stall. It's, like, a tiled background behind them that's shiny, but it's just... It, it almost feels like the portraits cards, you know? It's just... I was going to say, for how much you like the portraits, I'm surprised you don't like those. They're well, basically... Because- a zoomed out shot of the portrait. <laughs> well, because the portraits, they're like standing in front of like this trippy, you know, mid 1990s background with like the crazy font and everything. And here it just looks like they're standing in a shower stall. It looks like it should be pink bathroom tile behind them. It's blue. It's like shiny blue holographic grid behind them. It's 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 not like a super exciting design. I guess it's kind of cool, though, that it is focused on the rookies. So, you know, for what that's worth. Well, I thought we had some kind of weird parallel because when we were finding all of the ones, the SEs that we pulled, there was one that didn't have the signature on it. And I don't know if it was a mistake or if it might harken back to like the silver scripts from MVP where the rookies didn't sign in time. So they just printed their name. Right. Which so, was always lame. Yeah, so I'm wondering if if there might be some players that they just couldn't get the digitally signed so that they could use them. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Because I don't see any distinguishing difference on the checklist between ones that are or aren't signed. Hmm. So uh, what would you say? Like it, love it, or gotta have it? Well, I mean, from a base set standpoint, you gotta have it if you're going to complete the set. Yes. I'm like you. I don't love all the inserts. But I like a lot of them. Oh, yeah. I wanted to really like the holographics ones the most, but I don't. Mm-mm. I don't like them the most. I think they fell flat with what they did with them. I don't they mind just... them, but I think they fell flat. I don't think they look like I was expecting them to look, but that's okay. 
because there's other things to like. Right. I don't mind the ultimate victory ones. I always liked the ultimate victory sets where they're even the base cards were all foily. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind those. The SE ones I actually like. The 0506 parallels, I think those are cool. The 0506 tributes, I like yeah. those. I think those are really cool. Top shelf rookies, I don't know that we got any. And the pros and prospects, I don't think we got any of those either. SPX, I can take or leave. The ovation, I didn't like the regular ones, but for some reason, I like the rookie ones. They're kind of a different color. Mm-hmm. One of them's like an off-white, and the other one's like an e-crew. Because hmm. <laughs> they're both off-white, but one mm-hmm. of them's darker off-white. So, yeah. But anyway. So, I mean, I, I like them. Got to have the base set. I like like the parallels. Yeah, I agree. Got to have the base set. Got to have the young guns. Love most of the para, most of the uh, inserts. Yeah, I'm gonna um, go with like. I don't. I'm not gonna say love. I'm gonna uh, go with like. I guess I like or love the UD3 and the SPX Finite. Um, what do you say, Spectrum? Yes, the 99s are Spectrum. So I guess the really nice ones i like and i think for the most part i'm a little disappointed in like ultimate victory i was just like okay these are kind of nice but whatever i guess you know part of the problem and this this has to do with me specifically is i wasn't collecting those years i was not collecting in 98 99 99 2000 2000 2001 so right in that little sweet spot where they're picking these old sets the only one that really meant anything to me was holographics but that's a set that i bought many years later but just loved. Like, I looked at that and I said, wow. And the thing is, is that Upper Deck no longer has or uses that really cool holographic technology from, like, the 90s where really it looked like the things were, like, just jumping off the card at you. Now it's kind of like, really, they call it a hologram, but it's really just kind of like a foil board with, like, maybe, like, a a rainbow effect when the light hits it. It's not like a true hologram where you just hold it and it looks like it's like popping off the card. Yeah. No, I, that, I know. I know what you're saying. That's kind of how I felt about them. They, they looked more like platinum, like a yeah. platinum kind of with the different color parallels. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's true. But then even platinum, they have those rainbow versions where the light hits it and you get all the different colors. That's yeah. what I wish platinum was like throughout the whole set. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what I was expecting. But I may try to build some of these parallel sets. I may not. I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Well, I think I'm gonna definitely gonna chase the base set and the rookies. And then as far as like some of these uh, parallels, I don't think I'm gonna really build any of them. The holographics, like that was the one I was the most excited about, but it doesn't meet my expectations. And then the UD3 is probably my favorite, but I think that's gonna be a tougher one to put together, especially since they're all numbered. But uh, it's something I could live without. You know, like if I get a few more in packs, I'll, I'll hang on to them probably. But it's not going to be something that I like obsess over. Yeah. It won't be making the list anytime soon. Let's put it that way. So any last thoughts before we uh, wrap this one up? No, I'm good. All right, then. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, Please be sure to like and subscribe. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please consider buying a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like.
more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.